we have been talking about, I got an amen on that too. We've been talking about, uh, well, at the first of the year, the elders presented to us a vision for 2011. And the theme for this year is for such a time as this. There are people that God has used as instruments of his providence. And uh, many times unbeknownst to them, they weren't aware that they were the one chosen by God as they were going through it to accomplish his purposes, but yet God nonetheless chose them and used them to do great things. Ordinary people, and that's the idea. You know, I don't know that any of us here today view ourselves as extraordinary people who stand head and shoulders above uh, the rest of our society. We are just something else. We probably view ourselves as pretty ordinary folks. God can use you. That's who he used throughout the Bible. On a few of rare occasions, he used people of great power and wealth and prestige. But more, more often than not, God used ordinary people to accomplish his purposes. And one of the things that I've asked us to do as we begin this year is to continue to pray that God use us as instruments in his hand, instruments of his providence. Allow God to use your life to be the tool in his hand to accomplish some purpose that he has. He'll answer those prayers. He'll use you. He has in the past, and he will continue today. He still has a work to be done. Still there is a mission that needs to be accomplished, and uh, we're a part of his kingdom citizens in his kingdom, and we're trying to advance his cause. Let's make ourselves available to him. You don't have to be great. You just have to be willing. Last, whenever I preached, we had just begun a series entitled Lost in the Credits. You know, when you watch a movie, it would be a good movie. At the end of it, there's all these uh, names that just kind of scroll down the screen Nobody pays attention. If you go to a movie and you watch, you might sit through those credits if they're showing clips of uh, outtakes or something from the movie. You might sit and watch, but nobody just sits there and watches all those names uh, scroll down through there. You don't care who the executive producer was or, or the manager of the lights or the, st- you know, you, all those people. You don't, you don't need to know that. You don't want to know that. Yet every one of those people whose names are in those credits had some important, necessary job for that movie to have reached completion, for you to have enjoyed it. There are people who are lost in the credits. And uh, there are people in the Bible who are lost in the credits. They were great men and women but you probably aren't very familiar with them. Their names might not ring a bell like Moses and Abraham and David and Paul and Peter, but they were people that God used. And that's the point of this series. The emphasis as we begin this year is to let God use you as an instrument in his providence to accomplish his ends. He's done it before with people you probably don't remember. Their names don't jump out at you. They're just people like you and like me, but God used them. This morning, I want us to talk about a man by the name of Bezalel. Now, I know the spelling may be different. 
from the way your transla- translations translate his name just a little bit differently. Uh, the spelling varies from translation to translation. But two guys by the name of Bezalel and Aholiab. They're read, or you can read about them in Exodus chapter 31. And again, I dare say, Bezalel and Aholiab. Who in the world are they? Where did you come up with their names? I've never heard a sermon on Bezalel and Aholiab. Who were they? Well, they were people that God used in a very mighty way. They're people whose influence, you're well aware of, of the work they've done. But their names, they're lost in the credits. And so I want us to just draw attention to these two people this morning and what they did and some practical lessons from their lives. Well, first of all, what they did is that they completely furnished the tabernacle. Remember the Old Testament? As the people of God moved, as they wandered in the wilderness, they had that tabernacle with uh, the holy place and the most holy place. They set it up. And as they moved as a people, they moved that tabernacle with them. And there were certain pieces of furniture in that tabernacle. Uh, There were things that were crafted. Um, God selected these artisans to do the crafting of things such as the Ark of the Covenant and some other matters that we'll talk about in just a minute. But now those are things we're very well familiar with. But to know that the man that built the Ark of the Covenant was Bezalel, couldn't have told you that. Oh, I know what the Ark of the Covenant is. And I know how important it was to the life of Israel. But I had no idea there was a man by the name of Bezalel who made the Ark of the Covenant and Holiab. But here are some of the things that they were able to accomplish while they lived here. They built such things as the altar of burnt offering. Now, that's a rough rendering, a picture of what that altar may have looked like. Uh, as you go into the tabernacle, as you enter into that outer court, if you can imagine kind of a rectangle with a curtain all the way around it, as you walk in the entrance, you were met right there with this altar of burnt offering. This is where there was kind of a grill on the inside of it, like you'd grill out. There was a, there was a grill on the inside, and they would, this is where they offered the burnt offerings. Um, the priests would take an animal and, and burn their flesh there and kill the animal. And, and the little horns on the four corners, that's, they would sprinkle blood on those horns. Holiab and Bezalel built that altar. They made it out of acacia wood and then overlaid it with bronze. And then they also made the bronze laver. Do you remember as you left the... The, uh, this altar of burnt offering, the next thing you would walk into was this brass laver. Uh, almost looks kind of like a bird bath. The, the priests would wash in this. Uh, if they did not wash, they were under penalty of death. If they would dare go into the, the uh, tabernacle and perform duties in there without washing, they were to be put to death. You can imagine working at the, the altar of burnt offering and all the bloodshed and the killing and the cutting up of the animals and burning certain things and removing certain things and all that stuff. You would, you would need to clean yourself before you actually entered in. 
and did other service uh, for God. And so they had to wash. These men, Bezalel and Aholiab, made this bronze or brass laver. And then they also made the um, golden lampstand. As you entered into the holy place in the, on the south wall, there was this candlestick. The golden candlestick was made out of pure gold. And it had seven candles, and those candles provided the light inside of that uh, uh, tabernacle so that they could function, so that they could see to do the things that they did in there. But he made that lampstand. He also made the altar of incense that was in the holy place. And again, this was a, a... thing that was overlaid. It was acacia wood overlaid in gold, and it stood three feet tall and was about 18 inches square, and it had rings on the side of it where they could put poles through so that it could be carried, and uh, it was here that they would offer incense to God. Uh, the representation, the, the typology of these, these uh, pieces of furniture uh, is an interesting lesson in and of itself, but this this incense would rise up to God as a sweet smell to him. They made that altar of incense. They also made the table of showbread. The table of showbread was on the other side, and on this table were contained 12 loaves of bread, representing the 12 tribes, surely, and uh, the priests, every Sabbath, would come in and they, the priest, Aaron and his sons, the priests would partake of that bread and replenish it and replace it every week. That was part of their process. But again, Aholiab and Bezalel, they're the ones who made this table of showbread. And then you enter into the most holy place in the tabernacle And there was that one piece of furniture that we're probably most familiar with, and it's the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was about the size of the communion table here. On top of it, there were two cherubs, and uh, there was the mercy seat on top. And it was at this, this piece of furniture that the glory of God resided. And once a year, a priest, the high priest, would come in and sprinkle blood on that to to atone for the sins of the people, his own sins as well. And uh, it was elaborate, made again of acacia wood, overlaid with gold. Inside of this, this box was manna that God sustained the children of Israel with during the wilderness wandering. There was um, the uh, Ten Commandments that Moses brought down off the mountain and Aaron's rod that budded was in this this chest. These instruments that were very vital to the life, to the religious function of Israel, they were made by Bezalel and Aholiab. Now, here's my question. Have you ever heard of the Ark of the Covenant? Sure. Have you ever heard of the candlestick? Yeah. Did you think those things just kind of, did God drop those from heaven? How'd those get there? According to Exodus chapter 31, God used Bezalel and Aholiab 
two artisans in Israel to craft and make not only these pieces of furniture, but also to make the, the priestly garments that Aaron and his sons wore. They were skilled, and God blessed their skills in craftsmanship, and they did that. In fact, in Israel today, their school, their National Academy of the Arts, is called the Bezalel Institute. You know, from us, from a person's standpoint, we might think, well, why in the world would they call it that? Well, if you understand the history of Israel, you understand why they'd call it that. But here's some points that I want us to get from this lesson. Here are two men who, that we probably don't remember reading about. I'm sure we've read their names, but just kind of overlooked them. They're lost in the credits. But look at what they did and how important what they did was to the life of Israel. Here are the points that I want you to get from this lesson. Number one, they left their families a legacy that they can be proud of. The last lesson, we talked about the sons of Korah and how God used the sons of Korah. We sang songs that that Sunday here in this assembly that were written by the sons of Korah. Imagine that. Thousands of years ago, these nameless men wrote songs of praise to God, and we're still singing them today. Ordinary men who overcame their legacy. Their father was Korah, who rose up in rebellion against God, and and the family was destroyed. And by the way, just by way of uh, side, just a little sidetrack, some have asked, uh, well, if the family was destroyed, how, how are these sons still alive? Well, Numbers chapter 26 and verse 11 says that the sons did not die in God's judgment upon Korah. They, they survived. They were not with their father, apparently. But there's a legacy that you have to overcome in Numbers chapter 16, but not in the case of Bezalel and Aholiabs. But think of how proud... I don't know if these guys were married, if they had children, but think how proud you would be to know that your dad or that your granddad, he's the one that made the Ark of the Covenants. He's the one that made that laver that, where the priests washed. He's the one who did. He made the, he made the garments that the priests were my, my dad did that. My grandfather did that. Isn't that a wonderful legacy? Listen, folks, you have a legacy that you can leave your children to. When they see your life and what you've accomplished, are they proud or embarrassed? Do they look and see what you've done and how you've allowed God to use your life and say, wow, you know, I'm, I'm proud of my mom and dad. They've done this and that. Or would they look at you saying, I've got to overcome. I've got to do better than they did. Bezalel and Aholiab left their family with a powerful legacy. Luke chapter 17 and verse 32, there's Lot, Lot's wife. Jesus just very briefly says, remember Lot's wife. What a sad way to be remembered. I'm sure that woman was a good lady living with her husband, and, but she made a mistake and she's remembered for her mistake. Remember Lot's wife. I don't want to leave that kind of legacy. I want to be remembered for something better than disobeying God. And then you can 
turn in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4, and you remember the passage, it talks about how that Abel, Abel's the first man to ever die on this world, on this planet. And he's been dead for a long time. And billions of people have died in between him and, and today. And yet the Hebrew writer says that he still speaks. Even though he's been dead as long as we can go back, he still speaks to us today. He speaks of faithfulness to God. That's the way I want to be remembered. I want my life to be like that. These two men, Bezalel and Aholiab, they were chosen artisans. They, they were chosen by God to, to make some things that God needed made. Everybody remembers the things they made, but nobody remembers them. But isn't that a wonderful legacy to leave your family? I serve the Lord in this fashion. It, it would give you a sense of good pride. Look at something else that I think is noteworthy in their life, and it's that they use their talents to the glory of God. And I think it's interesting to see what, you know, the, these guys are artists. Of what value is an artist in the desert? Remember, the, the, these guys are wandering through the wilderness. They're, they're living in tents. They, they don't have structured homes. They, they didn't build houses out of wood and, and put pictures up on the walls. They didn't have the opportunity to take canvas and, and do artistic things and hang them on walls and set up a little shop and sell their goods and so forth. They're in the wilderness wandering from place to place. And here these guys... They're just artists. Now, if you're a tent maker, that would have been useful. If you're a good hunter, that may have been useful. If you could repair things or if you were a shepherd, that would have been useful. How useful is an artist during a 40-year-long wilderness wandering? I wouldn't think very. I mean, that's like if in Sugar Creek, Ohio... That, that's one, that is the largest concentration of Amish people in North America. Uh, we've gone there. It's not far from where I grew up, and we've gone there several times. And um, Amish people everywhere, not, not Mennonite, but Amish. I mean, the, the buggies, no electricity, all those kind of things. How, if you move to Sugar Creek, Ohio and decide to set up a TV repair shop, how good is your business going to be? It's not, you're not going to be very useful. Now, if you could make buggy wheels, you'd really be a, a sought-after person, but not a TV repairman. Bezalel and Aholiab were artisans. They were artists. And they find themselves in a situation that doesn't seem very appropriate for artists. But here's the good news. God used them anyway. God can use whatever your talents are and craft them to His glory. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 and verse 10 that um, we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. If you make yourself available to God, He can use you. 
You may not have the talent that somebody else has. You, it may not be a front center stage talent, but he can use your talent. You know, if, you, if you're good at making meringue on pies, some people can't make meringue. Some people can't. But if you're good at making meringue, you know what? God can use... You can send that to the preacher and he'll just... <laughs> you'll encourage him. Uh, but you, you see what I'm saying, don't you? I'm just kidding. But you, you don't have to have one of these front center pressing talent, whatever your talent is. Listen, if God can use two artists in a wilderness wandering, He can use you. He can find your ability, and He can use that ability in His service if you'll let Him. In Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, just about the whole chapter, The Apostle Paul talks about our gifts, our giftedness. Maybe some of those were miraculous in nature. I think for the most part, uh, there are things that just talk about our our abilities that God gave us. You know, there are people that are really good encouragers. They just have the ability to come up and throw their arm around you and say just the right thing. And you know what God said or Paul said? If your ability is in that area, use it. There are some people that are good at administration, leadership. If you're good at that, use it. Be a good administrator. There are some people that God has blessed with wealth. They, it just Money just kind of f- has fallen in their lap. They've made good decisions in life, or maybe it's been handed down to them, but they have been fortunate and they have wealth and they can, they, they're good at it. He says, use it. Some people are good at ministry, to minister to people's needs who are hurting. And so then minister. No matter what your talent is, no matter what skill set you have, there is a place for you in the kingdom of God. If you're not an eye but a hand, God still has use for you. What would we be without our hands? And on the flip side, what would we be if we had no sight? doesn't matter who you are, you're part of the body of Christ, and as a part of the body, there are no vestigial organs. We all have purpose, we all have function in the body of Christ. These men use their talents to the glory of God, unlikely talents to the glory of God. What are you using to God's glory? What are your talents? They may be unlikely. They may not be limelight, headliners, but use them nonetheless. God can use you. And then the third and final point is that their talents were not going to place them in the spotlight. But that was okay. They served anyway. There was no contractual agreement that they come up with God and say, now listen, I'll make that if you put a, a brass plaque on the front of it that says, made by Bezalel and Aholiab. I've got to have the plaque. If I can't get the plaque on it, I'm not doing it. Have you seen people that serve God in that fashion? I'll serve if I get, give me credit and and I'll do it. But if you don't give me proper credit, then you can count me out. We know all about the Ark of the Covenant. We know all about these pieces in the tabernacle. We've studied about them. We've seen the layout of it. We've seen how they were positioned. And we've, we've had the lessons. We've learned what they represented 
And yet, during all those lessons, when have you learned, and they were built by Bezalel and Aholiab? I don't remember that lesson. These men did something that was bigger than themselves, and they didn't care about credits. And that's what I want us to be able to do. I don't want to serve God so the people say, wow, Steve Higginbotham. You don't want to serve God, just hear your name called. I want to serve God to make a difference because God knows, and that's really all that matters. People who try to toot their own horn is really obvious, isn't it? Have you met people that want to promote themselves? They can't do it without giving themselves away. It's obvious. I'd rather go through life and just do what God needs done, and use my talents, and let God give me the praise. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he'll lift you up. That should be the way we serve God. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10, and I'll close with this, just again a reminder. God is not unjust to forget your labor of love. He won't forget I may have forgotten the names of the men who built the Ark of the Covenants, but God didn't. He won't forget. Whatever it is that is your labor of love, do it. You may be lost in the credits. No one may ever know that you did what you did, but God will not forget. Let's, again, allow ourselves to be used by God. Let's pray this year for such a time as this that God will use me with who I am and the abilities that I have. Even though I'm no one special, I'm just an average person, pray that God use you as a tool, as an instrument in his hand to advance the cause of Christ here in this congregation, in this community. If you're here this morning, you're not yet a child of God, but you want to be used by him. You like that idea of working, of partnering with God. What a concept that I can partner with God in a joint venture. If you want to be a partner of God, obey the gospel. Become one of his children. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If you haven't done that, do that this morning. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful and you haven't been using your talents like you should, maybe you've let them go to waste and you say, I, I, need, to, I need to do better. God can use me better than he has in the past. And I want to do that. I want to commit myself to that. We'll pray with you to that end if you'll come as we stand together and sing.